Now, uh, so we're going to get right into our word this morning. We are, uh, last Sunday I kicked off a new series, as you can see on the screen there, Weighed Down, Weighed Down. Let go and let God. How many know that's good advice right there? Let go and let God. Hebrews tells us that we are to run our race. And yet what this series is going to be doing is we're going to look at weights that hold us down. Uh, if you carry excess weight, then you understand that it is a very difficult thing. Uh, you know, I've never seen, I, I have seen some guys that put these weighted vests on to run. I don't need extra weight to run. I got more than I need, right? So we want to talk about how to get rid of the weight so that we can run our race effectively and efficiently for the kingdom. And so I want to begin uh, this morning by talking about, you ready? Unforgiveness. Ooh. Yeah. Somebody's already shifted like, ooh, this is going to be uncomfortable. <laughs> Second Samuel chapter 16. I've used, I love this story. I'm just going to read one verse this morning. Said now the advice, and I want you to pay attention to what's said here, because it's very important. The advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, listen to the description here, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. How would you like that to be your, 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 what you're noted for? That you spoke with such wisdom that it was like speaking to God. Okay, so he said now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God, so was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. Now we're going to jump right into this story. I love this story. I've, I've, I talk about it oftentimes. And again, as we continue with this series, remember Hebrews tells us that we're running a race. In fact, I gave you several scriptures last week that Paul uh, oftentimes equated the Christian journey with a race. He said, everybody runs, run to win. Uh, this is a race that we're in, not comp it's not a competition with my brother or my sister, it's a competition with myself. And the, the competition is, tomorrow I need to be better than I was today. Tomorrow I need to be closer to God than I am today. That's the competition, it's not by somebody else. And, and what happens is, and what Hebrew says, is that if we're going to run our race, he said, let us lay aside or throw off every weight and sin. Okay, two things. We understand sin. Sin makes us feel bad. It's icky. It's gross. So we, we understand sin. And there's nothing that will short-circuit the power of God working in our lives like unconfessed sin. But then he adds up the other dimension or category, and that is weight. A weight is not, un, is not necessarily sinful. It's just something that's added to us that distracts us or holds us back from being the man or woman that God has called us to be. And, and I truly believe this this morning, that there's so many believers uh, in Western culture today that sit sidelined, okay, listen to me, they sit sidelined because they, are be, they, they have become weighted down with unnecessary weight and junk, just unnecessary junk that they've allowed to accumulate in their life. And so they're not running their spiritual race uh, with, with efficiency or effectiveness. Again, this morning, as I said, we're going to begin, I, I told you last week, this is going to be a spiritual weight loss sermon series. Hey, January is the month that everybody pledges to go to the gym and start losing weight, right? Well, some people do. And it lasted three weeks. But anyway, <laughs> but we're going to talk about spiritual weight loss. And so today we're going to be begin with the first weight. We're going to begin our weight loss journey by talking about unforgiveness. Everybody say unforgiveness. 
Did you feel that? I felt that one. <laughs> Listen to me. Unforgiveness is the self-inflicted wound. I truly believe that one of the greatest obstacles facing Christians today is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness has infected the 21st century church, and what it has done, it has caused bitterness and hard feelings. And, and I have people all the time say, Pastor, why don't we see what the old-timers used to see? You know, again, I shared with you last week the story. I'm third generation. I grew up in church, and even though I rebelled and ran away from home and, and, and got mixed up with a lot of things that, that uh, I was not raised to do, I still have memory of a kid, as a kid growing up, sitting in a service where the power of God was evident, where people, when they prayed, it's almost like you wanted to look over and see Jesus sitting next to them because they prayed with such fervency and, and they prayed with such power. And I have people say all the time, Pastor, where is that? Where is that, where is that happening uh, right now? And, I, and, and why isn't it happening right now? I was in Springfield earlier this week and at headquarters and I was visiting with about 100 pastors from across the country and one of the pastors that was there uh, one of the things that's been going on in their church, over the last year, they have had 1,200 documented miracles happening in the service. And we're talking about uh, Asperger's being reversed. These are documented by doctors. In fact, uh, if you go to, the, if you go to the, uh, the hospital or the doctor there in Springfield, they're going to ask you, do you go to that church? <laughs> because things that they had, uh, rotator cuffs, arthritis, I mean, just cancer, all kinds of things, all kinds of things. And, and, and people say, well, why, do, why don't we see that happening more? I'll tell you why. It's because we have people that are plagued with unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. In our text, we're introduced to a man, and I, I love his story. I mean, I love it for the illustration purposes. This man's name is Ahithophel. Everybody say Ahithophel. It's a hard name to say, but that's his name. It's Ahithophel. I didn't name him. <laughs> okay. And, and so, so who's, who is Ahithophel? 1 Corinthians chapter 27 tells us that Ahithophel was the king's trusted advisor. He was a man, he was considered to be a man of great wisdom. And whenever the king had a problem, uh, he would call for Ahithophel. He was King David's confidant. It's very important you understand that. This was a man that when David needed advice, when David had situations that he wanted to get a second opinion on, he would call this man, because remember the text says that when he spoke, he spoke as one was speaking to the oracle of God. He was renowned for his wisdom and understanding. Okay? So that's him. He was a very wise man, except in one area of his life. Ahithophel was a ticking time bomb. And we'll get to that. He was... This man was full of unforgiveness, and it was eating him up on the inside. And we sit here and we think, oh, well, why would that be? Well, let's, let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. David had a son by the name of Absalom. Anybody know the story about Absalom? Absalom had a sister named Tamar, and she was raped by her half-brother or step-brother. And Absalom, in his rage, because King David did not set things right, he killed him and ran from David, ran from the kingdom and began to undermine the authority of King David. He began to undermine him at every chance he could. He, 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 uh, he would get, begin talking about his dad. He would talk about 
his dad was weak and his dad was ineffective. He had grown old and cold and, 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 and that David was no longer fit to be king. And so in this rebellion, he's trying to steal away the kingdom. He's trying to usurp the kingdom from David. And so what he does is he goes to, to, to Ahithophel and he asks him to join the rebellion or the coup, okay? And, uh, and he did. He did. And that's kind of puzzling. I mean, because he, uh, because he was able to get Ahithophel to join his cause in the rebellion, it was now legitimized, and there were other people that were now joined the rebellion because if Ahithophel's behind it, how many know that there's some people that if you see them and they're backing something, you're more likely to back them because you're like, man, they, they got it going on. They know what's going on. So because Ahithophel said, hey, I'll back you, I'll join you in the cause, other people, because he legitimized it, started to follow uh, uh, Absalom. Remember, again, his advice was as if, as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So, so people respected him and they held him in high esteem. And so you think about that. That's kind of odd to me, right? I mean, how would you get someone who had been a faithful, trusted advisor for years and years and years to all of a sudden turn their back and stab King David in the back and side with the uprising? How would you do that? I mean, listen, there are some people in our lives that are flaky, right? But then there are some people that are ride, the ride or die people. When I was in the military, we called that having you six. There were some guys that I served with that I didn't have to worry because they had my six. That's what, they, and I had theirs. This guy, so, so what in the world would happen? I mean, how, how, do you, how do you walk with King David for so long, be an advisor and a confidant to David, and then all of a sudden turn your back on him and support openly a rebellion? I mean, what would make someone so mad that they would do such a thing? Well, we got to dig a little bit, okay? 2 Samuel chapter 23, it kind of it gives us a list of David's mighty men, okay? These were men that fought with David, and they were like closer than brothers. They were his mighty men. And there's a man there, his, he's on the list, his name is Eliam. When you look at Eliam, he is the son of Ahithophel. Now, so think about it. Ahithophel had a son named Eliam who became one of David's mighty men. Nothing really odd about that, right? I mean, you would kind of think that if it's in the family business to be around the king and to protect the king, that it would pass on to the sons and, and grandsons. So, so nothing really odd there. But then you read in 2 Samuel chapter 11, here's what we find. It says, when the kings go out to war, okay, in the season, when they go out to war, David, what did he do? Remember? He stayed behind. He was lounging, taking it easy when he should have been out at the battlefield with everybody else, but he didn't. And the Bible says that one day he's out there and he's roaming around the top of his house. Now, I'd never understood that until I went to Israel the first time. And in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, I stood at the ruins of David's palace where they are unearthing his palace. And you've got to understand, it is terraced building. So when you're standing on his palace, because he's a king, it's higher than everything else. So you can stand there and literally see down down this terrace building down into the Kidron Valley. So David is up there, and the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, remember what he did? He saw a woman bathing. Now the Bible says this woman was very beautiful. 
When the Bible says that, you know she was, she was beautiful, okay? She was very beautiful. And so David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, listen, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Okay, now you see what's going on here. Bathsheba was the granddaughter of Ahithophel. What did David do? David took her and, had, and, and abused her and had her husband killed. Paul Paul didn't think kindly of that. Let me just say this, okay? I'm a Paul Paul. You mess with my girls, I'm going to mess with you. I understand. I understand. Paul Paul got angry. And it's, it seems obvious from the story, if you continue reading, it seems obvious that Bathsheba had forgiven David. She became his wife. And also that Eliam, I mean, we don't have any record of what went on, but, but it seems like Eliam had forgiven him. But Paul Paul never did. Paul Paul did not. He never forgave David for the sin. He carried that unforgiveness. And for years and years and years, it festered in his spirit until there was an opportunity to side with the rebellion. You know what, you know what Ahithophel was thinking? Uh-huh, here's the time to settle the score. That's, so think about it. He carried that for years and years and years. And when the opportunity presented itself, he participated in the rebellion in hopes of settling the score. And I need, need to tell you before I jump into the, the meat of it, the story doesn't end well. The story doesn't end well for, for Ahithophel. Absalom is chased by David out of Jerusalem, and, and so he goes to Ahithophel. Remember, he's a, he's a trusted advisor of David. He asks him what he should do next. So Ahithophel gives him the advice that was, that was sound advice, but rather than take Ahithophel's advice, Absalom decided to ask someone else. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 17, it says this, When Ahithophel saw that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey set out for his house in his hometown, he put his house in order and then hanged himself. That's the end of unforgiveness. Doesn't have a pretty picture. Why did he hang himself? Because he knew, he knew that he had messed up. He knew that David would be able to rally the troops because he didn't take his advice. He knew that he would rally the troops and in the end he was going to win the battle and so he hung himself. See, what I want to tell you this morning is that is what holding on to unforgiveness will do. I'm not saying that you'll necessarily run out and hang yourself. I'm simply saying that you'll die a slow death and a painful death from the inside. Harboring unforgiveness does not injure the other person. It destroys us. It's like a spiritual cancer that slowly eats away at our personhood. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you ever held on to a grudge or some bitterness against somebody else, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've been very free in the last 30 years of pastoring here uh, with my own testimony. My mother, as a kid growing up, my memory of my mother, are not, my memories are not good memories because my mother was eaten up with unforgiveness. I was too young to understand, but something happened at a church that my grandfather built and founded when I was a little boy. Something happened that I don't know, I was too young but I watched my mother change to a woman that I did not recognize, nor did I want to. She became a very mean person, eaten up. 
with unforgiveness, you would mention a particular name. And she would, it would be like that cartoon where that thermometer would just shoot up red and just blow up. Maybe you understand what I'm talking about. Fortunately, before my mother passed in 1995, a few years before she died, she had an incredible encounter with Christ that totally healed her of all the hurt and unforgiveness. I'm telling you, unforgiveness will eat you away from the inside. One reason I think the Western church is so powerless is because many people refuse to forgive an offense that is done to them. How many people are weak and anemic in their faith because they hold on to a grudge of something that has been done to him, uh, them that was not right and not fair? Listen, I understand. Again, nobody wants to be hurt. Nobody wants to be betrayed and let down or stabbed in the back. But the reality is that's where we are. We live in a fallen world with broken people. And broken people are going to hurt other people. And you and I as believers, we have to learn how to, how, how to deal with this. Again, the reason we're not seeing the life-changing miracles and the deliverance that the Word of God declares is because unforgiveness is the ruling emotion of the day. Paul asked the Galatians, I quoted it last week in chapter 5, he said, hey, who hindered you? Who hindered you that you should not obey the truth? Who, who hurt you so bad that you're willing to sabotage your own spiritual journey to get even or to hold a grudge? Let me pose a question to you this morning. Who or what is hindering you from going to the next level in your walk with Christ? That's what this series is all about. You see, I can't run. Hebrews says I'm to throw off every weight and sin. I can't run my race effectively and efficiently if I'm laden down or heavy laden with excess weights. I started with unforgiveness because I think probably unforgiveness is more widespread than about any other weight that we'll talk about. We're holding on to hurts that have been done to us. I said it in the early service, I'll say it again here, we've got, we've got husbands and wives who come in with fake smiles on their face sitting next to each other, pretending like everything is okay, but inside they're hurting and they're angry at each other and they're holding on with un to unforgiveness. Be careful. Be careful. Your children, as they grow up, they will go into their marriage carrying what they each respectively have seen and been exposed to. My marriage 101 counseling is simply this. Husband, your, your job is designed by God to take care of your wife. Wife, you're to honor your husband. See, if you're both, doing, if you're both meeting each other's needs, you're both being fulfilled. But when one Yahoo says, my needs are more important than everybody else, you break the harmony that God intended in marital, a marital relationship. And we've got parents that are holding on to unforgiveness because a child rebelled or said something to them. We've got husbands holding on to unforgiveness for the wife and the wife holding on to unforgiveness. Our homes are not safe havens. Our friendships are not safe. Wow, well, they didn't buy me a Christmas present. Big whoop, go buy your own Christmas present. And, and you know what? If you, if you were to strip everything down, it's probably the silliest thing. And yet we walk around with offense, heavy laden with offense. When things happen, here's the thing, we can either become bitter or we can become better. But I get to choose. You see, I, I can't stop somebody from hurting me, but I can stop from grabbing hold of it and let it cause me to become bitter. You know, the Bible warns us that we're going to face, in the world, we're going to face all types of unfair treatment. We are. There are going to be people that will let you down, they will betray you, they'll look right in your eyeball and tell you they love you till the until infinity and beyond, and the next day they're walking out. 
it happens. The Bible says we're going to have difficult times. We're going to have interpersonal struggles and relationships. That, that horizontal connection is going to be strained and it's going to be tough at times. But you know what? We are commanded by God to walk with integrity and as a witness of the children of God. You know, the Bible says, and I think sometimes we get so caught up with what's wrong in the world, we, get start, we start looking at the dirty of the world, the darkness of the world. You know what the Bible says? The Bible doesn't deny the darkness. The Bible doesn't say anything about, uh, it doesn't focus on the darkness. Yes, it's dark. The Bible says where iniquity abounds, what happens? Grace much more abounds. You see, we're not subject to the darkness. The, start, the darkness is subject to us. Amen? It's subject to us. Why can't we defeat the enemy of our lives? It's because we're walking around, uh, we're, we're constrained because of unforgiveness. Listen, there's nothing more counterproductive in our lives than bitterness and resentment outside of sin. I mean, I think every one of us here can recount stories of people that we know that have basically destroyed their lives because of unforgiveness. I mean, think about all the people who go through life blaming their parents, right? Blaming their teachers, blaming their pastor, blaming society, always deflecting. Uh, you know, Flip Wilson made it popular to say, the devil made me do it. Some of the young people are like, who? <laughs> that is before your generation. <laughs> but we ought to blame everybody. We blame everybody. We blame, we blame everybody, deflect to everybody else. We put blame on them for our miserable life. Listen, unforgiveness never mended the broken hearts. Unforgiveness never conquered a nation. It never built a great church. Unforgiveness has never brought home a wayward son or a wayward daughter. Uh, unforgiveness has never brought back yesterday nor strengthened relationships today. Amen. It's never done any of that. Nothing positive can be said about unforgiveness. It causes all kinds of physical problems. I don't have time to get into it, but I promise you, you'll have sleepless nights. You'll have wasted days. You'll walk around with anxiety. Right, let, let me describe some. How many of you have ever, how many of you ever been hurt before? Yeah, I mean, most of us probably raise both hands and both feet. Don't do it at the same time. Not healthy. So, so here's what happens. Somebody offends you. Somebody does something or doesn't do something. And you go to Walmart. And you see them down the way. What do you do? You either turn around and go out. Are you slip down another aisle because you don't want to face them? Am I telling the truth? You, you know, and, and when you see them, what happens to the inside? You get knotted up, right? We, you know, we call, talk about butterflies. No, it's not butterflies. That's not, you, you get all knotted up because you're anxious. You're filled with anxiety because you harbor unforgiveness. Somebody in the early service said, Pastor, how do you know you've forgiven somebody? Simple. The next time you see them... You don't get those. That's how you know. You don't cut corners to hide. Listen, everything, everything is counterproductive with unforgiveness, and yet millions of people sit in Western church, in Bible-believing teaching churches that are harboring unforgiveness. And we reason like this, well, pastor, you just don't know. You just don't understand. You don't know how I've been hurt. You just can't understand the pain is too great. And somehow they're going to pay. That's where we are. Listen, every one of us has stories of hurt and betrayal. 
30 years, July will be 30 years when I walked into this church for the first time, started pastoring this church 30 years ago. I can promise you, Mr. Margaret, it doesn't seem like 30 years ago. <laughs> but I can promise you in 30 years, I've had more than my fair share. I've had people that have walked up to me and said, Pastor, I'll have you six. I'll stand in the trenches with you. I'll fight with you. I'll pray with you. We'll, we'll take this city for Jesus only to have them a few months later get mad at me because something didn't go the way they wanted to. And not only did they get mad, they walked out of the building and on their way out started slandering my name and trying to pull people into their drama. So don't tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. And in that moment, I have a choice. And I'll tell you as a southern Alabama, south Alabama boy, I'm, I'm confronted with my... Okay, I'm just going to be honest. I'm a man. I'm confronted with the manly way of dispute settlement, conflict management and resolution. <laughs> I'm just telling you, you know. And there have been times I've been tempted to lay hands suddenly and heavily. <laughs> Yeah, see, we all have stories. We all have stories. But you know what? We cannot allow unforgiveness to take up residence in our heart because unforgiveness does not have a pleasant reward. It's taken me a long time of constant prayer because you know what? How many know the flesh is really strong? When you get mad, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing that floods your mind more than trying to get even, Right? I mean, we sit there and we, we contemplate and we plot and we scheme and we try to figure out how we can go back and get, get them the way they got us. You know what? Pardon my grammar. That ain't Christ-like. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not. No matter how much we want to, every great man or woman who has ever accomplished anything did so in spite of being hurt and being wounded. We can't, I, don't, I don't think we can be successful in life without being hurt because it's not what happens to us that matters, really. It's how we respond to what happens to us. Listen, some people are going to hurt you. I, I wish I could tell you otherwise. But again, we live in a broken world with broken people who hurt people. I wish I could tell you otherwise. We get put down, run down, trampled on, and it becomes easy to want to get revenge, and it's, and, and it's easy to harbor unforgiveness. It's just a natural part. One man said this, he said, man, the more I get to know the human race, the more I love my dog. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> dogs are loyal, dogs are dependable, eager to please. Man, you give them a biscuit and a bone and they're happy. I mean, their tails wagging, they're just good. Man, they see you come home, they're excited to see you. They don't run the other way. Don't you wish people were like that? Listen, sometimes no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we try, it's just impossible to have a good relationship with someone. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. People are going to hurt us, and when they hurt us, we can respond one of two ways. Again, I can either get better or I can get bitter. And so the question is, how do I release that? Because I would, I would have ventured to say in, in the service this morning, there are probably people here that have been hurt and wounded, and you still have that in your spirit. So how do I do that? How do I unleash the bur or release the burden of unforgiveness in my heart so it doesn't destroy me? You ready? I'm going to give you a profound 
answer this morning. Here it is. If you want to know how to release that burden of unforgiveness, here it is. Forgive. I know. Whoo, isn't that good? That education paid off. Forgive. <laughs> Simple, right? No. No, not hardly. The Apostle Paul put it like this in Romans chapter 12. This is good. Bless those who persecute you. Oh, don't you wish that wasn't in there. <laughs> Bless those, don't punch those. <laughs> Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. There's a root of unforgiveness right there, but I don't have time. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil uh, for evil, anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, Paul goes on, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink without the poison. <laughs> right? Give him something to drink. And here's what he said. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's it. Unforgiveness doesn't have to control us. Unforgiveness is one of those things that even today we can take out of that sack that we're laden, we're laden down with, that, that we're weighted down with. We can take that weight out and toss it aside because we don't have to leave here carrying unforgiveness anymore. Ahithophel let that thing fester in him for years and years and years, and the first opportunity he wanted to get revenge, he was able to try, and it failed, and it cost him his life. Paul gives us a remedy how to break the stronghold of unforgiveness. And by the way, that's exactly what it is. You know what a stronghold is? It is surrendered ground. It is areas of your spirit that you have given over charge to the enemy. This stronghold of unforgiveness can be broken. Paul gives us, uh, tells us how to do that in, in verse 14 of that chapter 12. He said, bless those who hurt you. That's it. Rather than seeking revenge, rather than trying to get even, rather than getting payback, he said, bless them. Sounds ridiculous, right? I mean, to me it does. To my human way of living and viewing my lens of viewing the world, uh, my worldview, yeah, it does. How do I bless someone who has hurt me? Well, he gives us that too. Number one, never stop praying for them. Never stop praying for them. Jesus said, we're to pray for our enemies. Why? Because it's awful hard to hate someone when we're praying for them. Isn't that true? Many years ago, I had a situation that was very painful for me. And uh, it was one of those betrayal things that, that well, you know, it was one of those things that I remember very, very well. It took me two years to get past it. Two years. And I had to pray every day. You know what, if that's what you have to do, hey, right down here in a few moments, we've got some index cards on both sides. 
And I'm going to give you an opportunity to come here in a minute, and I want you to write down the offender's name. Just first name. I don't want to know. Don't put Pastor Mike, because I'll know. (laughs) And I want you to write it down, and then I want you to stand there for a moment and just say, Lord, I release John and David or Susie, my husband, my wife, my father, my mother. I release them so it no longer. We're going to do that in a minute. Listen, pray for them. Pray for them. When we pray for those who hurt us, it really is for our benefit. I mean, again, when we pray for our enemies, you know what happens? It changes our heart. It changes our heart. Whereas at this point, I might be hurting, I might be angry, I might even be filled with a little bit of hate. When I start praying for them and I say, you know, and, and I'm not talking about prayers, Lord, look, may they get hit by a Mack truck today. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, right? I mean, hey, I, you, know, you, you laugh because, but there are people that literally will do that. I promise you. I'm talking about you pray, Lord, bless them, prosper them, bless their home, bless their business, bless their employment, bless their school, whatever. You start speaking life. Start speaking life. Jesus, God said in Deuteronomy, he said, I'm going to set before you life and death, blessing and curse, and choose life. If we're going to speak, let us speak words that edify and build up, not tear down. So we pray for them. We pray for them. It changes us. It frees us from the bondage of our own anger. It frees us to serve God in a way that really honors Him. Is it hard? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's probably one of the most difficult things we can do. There's just something inside of us that demands justice and payback. Right? There's just something about it. We want, they've got to pay. I'm going to make them pay. Jesus taught a new way of living. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. All things passed away. So, so never stop praying for them. Number two, never stop forgiving them. See, as Christians, you and I have been, not that we're better than anybody else. Please don't misread, uh, read between the lines. There's nothing there. We're not better than anybody. We're just forgiven. Right? But he does call us to a higher standard of living than the world does. Forgiveness is, the, is very hard for humans to do because forgiveness means that I now absorb the pain and the penalty. I release them from it. I release the person who did this, who probably should be punished, and I absorb the pain and the penalty in myself. Where did we hear that before? Father, forgive them if I don't know what they're doing. The Bible says he took upon himself the iniquities of us all. Listen, there's a lot of mental and emotional work involved in forgiving someone. And if you've ever tried to forgive someone a real offense, you you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is a price to pay. That's why I don't think a lot of people can do it because you've got to, listen, there's a, there's, we still war against the flesh. I don't care how much knowledge you have of scripture and how long you've been a believer that flesh is going to rear its ugly head and when you're hurt and offended we have the flight the fight or flight mechanism in, in us that's going to rear its ugly head and you're going to want to go and, and and take care of business and so you're going to struggle it's going to be hard to forgive again is to say i know what you did it hurt me deeply but i choose to release you of your penalty that's what forgiveness does And see, that's the problem of forgiveness. That's why many don't want to do it, because the cost is really high. Never stop forgiving them. Pastor, how do I know when I've forgiven them? 
when they're no longer an issue. <laughs> when you see that person, see, see with my mom, you could just mention the name of a particular person. And again, like I said, you could see the, the, just the rage. When you get to the point where you're forgiven, it doesn't happen. It's gone. You can see that person that has offended you. And you know what? Here's the thing. Oftentimes, they never seek forgiveness. They may never come to you and acknowledge their wrongdoing. They may never say, hey, I was at fault. They may never do that, but you've got to forgive for you. And remember, Jesus said, if you don't forgive, he said, I'm not going to forgive you. That's powerful. Remember, Jesus said, hey, if you come down to the altar and there you're making your gift, you know, you're, you're presenting it all to the Lord, and he's there you remember. That's the Holy Spirit's job to make us remember. He said, there you remember that you have issues against someone. Remember what he said, do? He said, stop what you're doing. Go make it right and then come back. You know why? Because if we stand down here trying to offer worship to the Lord with unforgiveness in our heart, he's got his fingers in his ear going, la, 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 la. I won't hear you until you make it right. Maybe that's why the church has been so anemic with the encroaching darkness. It's because we've held on to unforgiveness. Number three is to be a peacemaker. Again, verse 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is very difficult because here's the thing, you can't control other people. Can't. What it means is, I've got to go and try to reconcile. You know, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, by the way. I've got to be able to go and try to reconcile, but it doesn't mean the other person will reciprocate. I may go and try to take ownership of what I've done wrong. I may try to build the bridge and repair the bridge or whatever. They may never acknowledge or extend a forgiving hand. Here's the thing. As much as it depends on you, be at peace. Once you do that and you're, you're free in your heart, leave it to him. Leave it to him. I had a lady this morning, early service, she said, what about if it's a family member? I said, you know what, that's probably one of the hardest pains. I said, but you know what, I think the, the, the truth is you find a brother or sister, or you find sisters in the, the lady, I said, you find sisters in the Lord and you build another relationship with another sister. And then you pray for your sister that might come. Remember what the prayer is? Lord, I prayed that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they could see your truth. Then you start praying that their eyes would be open and that God could bring some reconciliation. As much as it depends on you, you do everything you can, but if they don't reciprocate, that's on them. Lastly, guys, come on back as I wrap this up. Never seek revenge. That's hard. <laughs> that's hard. How many of you can look back over your life and see how many times you've tried to get, uh, you, get you want to get after that person that, took advantage of you. You want to get after. He said, verse 19 said, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. There you go. Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Listen, it's his job to judge, not my job. Again, it's taken me a long time to get to this place, and I'm still, I, he's still working on me. And that's okay. That's okay. Don't sit with unforgiveness in your heart. When we seek revenge, you know what we do? We lower ourselves to the level of the person who irritates us. And it makes us vulnerable because now we're violating the principles of faith and love. 
See, revenge appeals to our low nature, not the high nature. Getting even with someone appeals to that base humanity that is laden with sin. That's what revenge does. Ahithophel teaches us that unforgiveness is really too costly. It is a price. What is that? Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. That can be said about unforgiveness. If you have ought against someone, that's King James. <laughs> if you have hard feelings against someone, it will take you farther away. What's going to happen is you, if you nurse that and keep that inside, one day you're going to wake up. Hebrews tells us about keeping, paying attention to that which we've received lest we drift away. What happens is one day you wake up and you think, man, how, how did I get so far away? You know, they say Elvis Presley, his favorite music was always gospel music. And it's reported that before he died, J.D. Sumner obviously was, was one of his favorites. He sang with Elvis. And they say before he died, he was at a gospel concert behind the scenes, behind the stage, listening to this gospel concert. And he made a comment to one of the people there. He said, you know, I wish I could find the God when I was, that I, I knew when I was a child. You see, that's what happens if we harbor unforgiveness. I'm not saying he was full of unforgiveness. He had other things going on. But what happened is he drifted. And he wakes up one day and says, you know, I wish I could find the God that I knew back then. Ahithophel teaches us that if you don't deal with the unforgiveness, again, I'm not minimizing the hurt. I'm not minimizing the betrayal. It's real. It's hard. It hurts. But I'm saying rather than take it upon ourselves to do something about it, let's find that secret closet and say, God, today, and, it, and this is how we do it. God, today, I want to walk in forgiveness. John did this to me. Susie did this to me. It was wrong. I'm angry about it. But I don't want a spirit of anger. I don't want a seed of unforgiveness to be planted in my spirit. And I don't want it to fester. So I'm asking you to help me with all the grace you said I can find at your throne. I want the grace to help me to release them. And you know what? You may have to pray that every single day. It took me two years one time. Two years. But then when it was gone, it was gone. The other person has never sought to make things right, never sought to own up to anything that was done. It's okay with me because I'm free and it doesn't bother me. So let me ask you this morning, are you free or do you have some unforgiveness in your heart? Listen, I, I told you these, these messages are going to be very pragmatic because I, I, want us to walk, I want us to walk in the freedom of the Lord. I, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to see. I'm ready to see God rend the heavens and come down. We've seen incredible things in the past 30 years. God's done some incredible things. But you know what? One of the things in Springfield that kept resonating in my spirit, he's not done yet. Like the song says, if I'm not dead, he's not done. Every one of these chairs represents a, a, a soul for whom Christ died and we're charged with reaching. And we can't reach lost people if we're still heavy laden with sin or unforgiveness waits. We've got to let it go. We've got to let it go. Won't you stand with me all across the building this morning? Before we start our prayer time this morning, I did mention I sent out an email to the BP family. If you're an intercessor, if you intercessory prayer is a, is a gift, something you're called to, would you meet me 
right after we finish, right over here on my left, your right, just for a few moments. I, uh, one of the things that the Lord has just kind of convicted me this year, I know we're a busy church. We have a lot of stuff going on, a lot of ministries. But Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations. And, and I really want us in 2023, should the Lord tarry to focus, not just on each one, bring one, but I want us to focus on concentrated, focal, focused prayer. Most of the prayer that Christians do today is transactional prayer. God seeking transformational prayer. Transactional prayer is simply what I can get from God. Transformational prayer is what God can get in me. Big difference. So if you're an intercessor or want to know a little bit about it, you'll meet me right over here just after service. But here's what I want to do as we close today. Are, do you have unforgiveness in your heart this morning? And I say this not to be, not to embarrass you. I would never if my life depended on it embarrass you. But I also understand that the danger of harboring resentment and bitterness. And if somebody's done you wrong, somebody has hurt you and you can't seem to get past it, they're going to sing that song again. We're going to sing that song again. Will you meet me here again? And as they sing that, I want you to come and there's, again, there's index cards over here. It could be a person, maybe even a situation that maybe there was a prayer that you prayed. Again, I, I know some people that the prayer didn't get answered the way they thought it should. And they got mad at God and they've never forgiven God as though God would need forgiven. But anyway, they've never darkened the door of the church in 30 years. I know people like that. I know people that just say, well, if God can't do... I'm just saying, don't let it fester. Get rid of it. So as I sing this morning, would you come? Or would you just say, you know what? Here it is. And just stand there. Lord, today I ask you, I release John and Susie and David and whoever. Go ahead. I want you to leave it there. We're going to take them up. We're going to tear them up, throw them in the trash. You'll be released to that today.
continue singing this song, but I, I I feel like this morning that there's some people here that you carry some hurt from your parents, your father, your mother, and I just feel like God is impressing on me that if you'll, if you'll hand it to him, it, listen, it wasn't fair what they did. Your father had no right to do what he did your mom but if you'll let him have it he'll bring some healing to you he'll set he'll open those doors that have ensnared you and have kept you back up to this point of your life again I I, I may be mistaken maybe somebody online but I I feel very strongly if you're here today and there's you there's some issues with your parents and is still harboring some resentment and some bitterness for the way they behaved and the way they acted and how they treated you, it's time to let it go so you can move forward. Go ahead. Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, travels awaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Come, Holy The Lord is in this place, not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is 
you come will you meet me here again it's all I want all I want it's all you are will you meet me here again if you're here this morning before you walk out of here, if there's something inside of you that you want to write down, feel free to come up here and do that. Just leave it up here. We're going to take those. We're going to tear them up. And that tearing is symbolic of releasing. When you have a package, you tear it open. You release. We're going to tear those things up. Here's the temptation, is to take out what you brought in. Some of these things, remember the disciples were brought a boy one time and they couldn't cast out the demon and they find Jesus, Jesus cast him out and they said, well, why couldn't we do it? He said, this kind, there's a kind, there's, there's some things that are tough. He said, this kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. What I'm saying is that hurt may be so deep and so strong that that kind may take you more than a day. But if you'll commit to forgiveness and if you'll walk with it, he'll take out the stony heart and he'll give you a heart of flesh. See, that's a transformational work that we can't do without him. I love you with all of my heart. And this series, I, I really believe, is a timely series because I, read, I believe that God is ready to shake the earth. I used to have that saying, I want, I want God to kiss the earth and I want to be in the middle of the smack. But we got to get some things right so that he can come. Father, today, we have taken our burdens to you. And Lord, we're going to leave them there. Lord, I pray that you would help us with that temptation to pick it back up again and to carry it and nurse it and nurture it. But Lord, today we resist. You said when the enemy comes to resist. We resist that adversary who heaps those guilty things upon us. 
who brings condemnation. We resist that and we walk out in the liberty of the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. And who, whom you set free is free indeed. So today we declare freedom from the offense that has been done. We release that person, that individual, that situation. We release them from further victimizing us. And we walk out today empowered by the Holy Spirit to live as more than a conqueror. Lord, may we not be teared, tethered to the past any longer in the hurt. Lord, may we fix our eyes upon the author and the perfecter of our faith, and may we run our race with endurance. Set us free today, I pray. Now, Father, I ask you to go with us. Give us a wonderful day. Lord, every day may we wake up with the determination to walk in forgiveness and in your power. And Lord, should you, Terry, bring us again at the next appointed time, ready to worship and fellowship with you. I love and I bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, Amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, try not to awaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Not for us. Gracious to you, Lord, turn.